The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is presented by the Jericho Network in association with Podcast One. Podcast One presents Rock Talk, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. All the rockers, all the stories. This is incredible. Now, now, here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. I'm glad uh, you could join me here today. I have got an incredible episode for you. On the front part, I have got Rudolf Schenker of the Scorpions. It goes without saying that the Scorpions are one of my all-time favorite bands, and they're just phenomenal. I just I love everything they do, and uh, I will be catching them in Montreal on September 19th. Uh, they are going to be opening up a new venue in town called the Place Belle in Laval, Quebec. But they are also part of a North American tour with Megadeth. And I will get back to Megadeth in a second because I've got some news about them, or at least bassist David Ellefson. But before that, I have got a encore presentation of my Stephen Adler interview, a former Guns N' Roses drummer. I interviewed him earlier in the year. Um, probably in January, I guess, uh, an interview that went global. It was picked up by Rolling Stone magazine. I think it was quoted in Billboard. I saw it on Blabbermouth, uh, Classic Rock, and all those places. But I have never brought it to you here. It, it existed in a uh, format or in a show that I did uh, outside of the Podcast One world. And so uh, let's bring it into the Podcast One world. That seems normal and reasonable to do. Um, since the last time we spoke, I have seen a bunch of great, great concerts. First, I'll start off in Montreal in the beginning of August. There is a festival called the Oceaga Festival. Now, it is not a hard rock festival at all. In fact, the big names there this week were Liam Gallagher and um, The Weeknd and, and, and bands like that. But I have got to say, that festival is one of the greatest festivals one could ever attend because it really goes beyond the music and is a sense of community. And, boy, if you ever have a chance, whether you like the bands or not, but if you just want a concert experience where you just get to be part of a small village, Oceaga is for you. And, of course, uh, the big news for me was seeing Guns N' Roses not once, but twice. I saw them in Montreal and then in Ottawa. And listen, very rarely will I say this, but uh, Ottawa wins this round. The the venue, the place where it's located, all the surrounding area with the shops, the boutiques, the restaurants, the parking. Ottawa, man, wins hands down. But the big news, of course, is Guns N' Roses. Both nights, they started at 725. That is right. Guns N' Roses started in, well, I don't want to call it broad daylight, but we didn't need lights. It was still bright outside. And they went both nights till about 11 o'clock. And it was spectacular. And i th- I got to tell you, the folks, you know, I, I posted on my Facebook, hey, I went to see Guns N' Roses. And there's always one or two that says, man, did Axel walk out? Man, did they start on time? Man. And it's like, listen, folks. You certainly have a right to your opinion. And yes, you know, the band has had its its moments in the past. But I mean, it's not 1992 anymore. S- Axel and, and, and Slash and Duff, 
on the Not In This Lifetime tour have started every show on time, before time even. In Montreal, I had gotten the uh, set times, and both nights it said 7.30, and both nights they were on at 7.25. So for all those people that say, Axel, this, I mean, come on, give it a rest. Okay, give it a rest. You know, you, you in your life have, I'm sure somewhere along the road, have done something objectionable, embarrassing, annoying, that others have rolled their eyes out. And you certainly wouldn't want to be judged for the next 30 years based on something you did in 1995 or whatever, or last year. So, you know, give it a rest. You know, if you're a Guns fan, go to the show. You're going to get three and a half hours, which, by the way, Look at all the bands touring around you. All those bands that are charging you 100 and 150 bucks and 200 bucks for tickets, and then show up and play 75 minutes with a drum solo and with a guitar solo. You know what? Maybe blink your eyes at those guys. Not guns. Three and a half hours on time. And and, and the double standard, to me, you know, a bar owner will take a headliner and stick him on at 11:30 at night on a Wednesday. And people will say, well, it's just savvy business. They need to sell some beers. Okay, I get that. But don't tell me that the guy who's putting on a band at 1130 at night is a savvy business owner. And Axl Rose, who in 2010 started his shows at 1030 at night, is some kind of devil character. I mean, it's, just, it, it's not. So anyway, uh, enough of the pontificating. I, I just want to say that Guns was wonderful. They were beautiful. They were... Fantastic. I mean, I don't think the words to describe how great they were those two nights have even been invented yet. So, you know. Um, now, back to Megadeth. Dave Ellison has started a new um, label called the EMP Label Group. And on there, he has signed some, what do you call them, heritage acts or older acts like Autograph. Uh, they're doing some re-releases of Dangerous Toys, Bumblefoot's on there, Kick Tracy, Mark Slaughter has a nice a, a solo album on there that is absolutely awesome. And then, of course, they're doing some more modern stuff, uh, you know, The Letter Black, Dollskin, Next to None, and so on and so forth. And so I, I got the head of the label, Dave, Dave and Tom Hazard, uh, sort of share responsibilities, but I got Tom on the line to talk about the philosophy with a label and, and, and what it means. Because everybody says, well, rock is dead and physical product is dead and so on and so forth. And Tom is a great proponent of physical product, vinyl, CD, packaging, booklet, the whole thing. And so before we get into Rudolf Schenker and before we get into the uh, uh, Stephen Adler encore presentation. And by the way, stick stick around after the uh, Stephen Adler is done because I have the band Epica, uh, Simone Simons of uh, Epica, talking about the band's current tour. But um, back to this, everybody says that these labels are dead, and here is Tom and Dave Ellison of Megadeth, who are opening for uh, Scorpions on the uh, upcoming tour. You know, they've put this label together, and they're succeeding, and they're signing bands, and they're bringing music to the fans. And so I just wanted to talk to him about the challenges of that. Anyway, I have rambled on, pontificated, probably annoyed a couple of you at this point uh, with my ramblings. Um, so let's get right into Tom of the EMP label group 
talking about Dave Ellison, Bumblefoot, autograph, packaging, and the current state of rock and roll. Here is Tom. Talk to me about the challenges of running an indie label. Everybody says, you know, oh, record companies, it's over, it's dead, it's done. But you're out there with the uh, EMP label group working with yeah, Dave Ellison yeah, and all that I, stuff. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, look, the funny thing is, you know, if you would have told me, I mean, this is actually my third independent label that I've ran. I had, uh, you know, Corporate Punishment Records, we put out a ton of releases, Switch, Galil, I mean, we did a lot of stuff kind of in the mid-2000s, and uh, you know, and then another label called THC Music, you know, that was through Sony Red, and we did, which still exists as now as an imprint of EMP, but, you know, we did, uh, in a different form, you know, through Sony Red, we put out Attica 7, Slaves on Dope, Primer 55, uh, some stuff with American Head Charge, you know. So again, and this is, you know, if, and, and, and if you would have told me, you know, four years ago, in 2015, you're going to start a new label, I would have laughed at you. I would have been like, oh, hell no, I'm not, you know. But yeah, it just kind of came back around, and, and, and me and David Ellison from Megadeth started, you know, doing some stuff together on some production and some management stuff. And, and at the time, uh, just to give you the backstory, basically what happened is originally, you know, so David worked with uh, a band called Dalskin, who are on our label, and now they're getting quite, you know, significant. They just did Warp Tour, and and they're doing great. But uh, so Dave started managing this band. He was kind of working with them. I hired Dave to produce a Rise and Chaos, one of the bands I managed. He fell in love with them, and we both kind of were doing management and stuff. So we saw the. Uh, but there was some synergy there. So we're like, well, let's do something together on Rising Chaos. I started helping him out with some Dalskin stuff. And then he calls me and he goes, look, you know, Megaforce offered me an imprint deal because him and Frank Bellow had altitudes and attitudes over there. So they offered him an imprint deal. So he's like, do you think I should do it? I'm like, sure, I'll help you with it. So we put up the first original Dalskin EP through Megaforce. And we were originally set to put a Rising Chaos and Green Death. We were the first two bands on EMP through Megaforce. Well, long story short, Megaforce didn't end up being a, a great fit. So we went out and we got a, a distribution deal with E1 in, in America and SPV in Europe. And, and it just turned into this thing. It just took on a life of its own. Originally, it just went through this little, you know, Dave Ellison vanity imprint through Megaforce, and it turned into, again, it's just, there was so much demand for it. There was a hole in the music business. I, I mean, look, as far as big, strong, independent labels, there's not that many left in America, you know, even in the world. But Europe is obviously way healthier than, you know, you know America is as far as that. You know, in America, there's Century Media, Nuclear Blast, Metal Blade. You know, there, there's a handful left, but there's really, there's a big gaping hole. Everyone says physical product is done record and i i tend to disagree i mean look bands still want a physical product in stores there's a lot of we, we actually kind of you know we started out with more developing acts and and which were all great and but then we segued more now into you know legacy acts and and you know now we're doing a lot of vinyl and vinyl reissues you know we're doing the reissuing some of the dangerous toys records and, and now we're getting into licensing deals with major labels to do reissues of classic LPs, you know, from major label catalogs that they're licensing to us to reissue. So look, I mean, there's, there's lots of challenges, but there's plenty of, of places to find business and reinvent ways to sell and, 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 and utilize physical product in, in the music business in this day and age, you know, and that to me is the most important thing is you know, anybody can say, oh, I have a label and then throw stuff on iTunes, you know what I mean? To me, there's no science in that. I mean, I'm an old school major label 
A&R marketing guy. I want records in stores. I want to see a physical product. I want to make vinyl. I want to make, you know, I, I want a physical product in stores. To me, that's the real art behind having a label. And that's kind of what we set this up on and predicated this whole thing on, you know, is really giving artists that, you know, you know, I, I have the blessed perspective of working for major labels. I did stuff for Interscope, Warner Brothers, Jive, Hollywood, you name it. You know, I worked on a, a you know, a lot of the Limp Bizkit and Corn, and I, I worked at Immortal. And, you know, so, you know, I, I, I kind of have the, the, the great uh, position of being able to see everything kind of from the major label perspective and know how that was done and know how that worked. But then I have a really strong understanding of the DIY, Wild West, modern, you know, ethic of how things are done now and, and, and that's kind of what EMP does is we kind of meld that you know somewhere right in the middle and we still put out physical product it still looks great we still you know push it as hard as we can but then again there's still the the modern mentality we do everything really you know really affordably and really smart and 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 you know and, and again it's just a you know, it's an interesting dichotomy to be able to look at it from, from, from both sides, from the major label, you know, way things were done, you know, that really barely exists now, especially in the rock world, and the, you know, independent existence that we're all kind of living now. Um, now, you mentioned about physical product, and, and I'm a big physical product guy. I, I need to have a CD. I've never really sort of jumped on the vinyl thing, though I appreciate that it's there because anything that pushes music forward and gets fans excited let's go for it but uh, but how important to you then is the packaging because just, just to have a vinyl Barry, record it's, it's okay. the most important i mean to me it's the most important thing like look i you know I mean, if you look at an emp product you know it's the same with corporate punishment it's the same thing with all of my records they've always had you know I, I don't tell my bands come to me and go what can we do i said whatever you want to do. If you want to do a digipack, if you want to do a 19 panel, you know, again, to me, it has to look good. It has to, you know, again, it just has to have that professional aesthetic. It has to look, you know, and again, we have amazing artwork. We have amazing artists who do our stuff for us. You know, Mr. Sam Sheeran does a lot of our artwork. And we have a lot of really amazing guys that do artwork. And, and, and my friend Shauna does a lot of our imaging and our magazine ads and, and, and stuff like that with me. And we have, we have really great, I mean, to me, the, the visual presentation and the imaging and the branding is the most important thing for an artist. I mean, I mean look, look at, you know, Slaughter, Death Leopard, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, all the big bands, the biggest bands, you know, part of Iron Maiden, part of what you identify with those artists and part of the nostalgia and part of was their artwork, their logos, their album covers. I, I mean, again, and, and that to me is such an important part of branding an artist and branding a label and what you do. I, I mean, that visual presentation is, is, is absolutely key. I mean, it needs to... In the same way the music needs to, that visual presentation needs to reach out and grab you and pull you into that product. And in most cases, that's the a lot of times that's the first experience someone's going to have with a physical product is that outside visual presentation before you even hear it. You know, they got to see it on the shelf and it's got to jump into your hand and go, I want to take this home and put it on my record player. I want to take this in my car and put it in the CD player. I want to, you know, yeah, again. So I, I, I fully agree with that. And, and you know, also some of the bands you're signing are, are interesting to me because, you know, you have Dollskin, which is a great young band, but that's sort of maybe too young for me, but, but great band. But you've got Bumblefoot out there. You've got Autograph now and Mark Slaughter, that album that he put out on, uh, on EMP. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, some of, there. 
halfway there. Some of the best work he's ever done, and it's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. I mean, when me and Mark, he started sending me demos for that like a year ago, and we started talking, and I mean, I love this, and it was just this ongoing process of him sending me demos and him going, I mean, I want to put this out, and eventually I went out. He had other labels and other suitors, but again, at the end of the day, he knew I was a fan, and I was passionate, and I really spent a lot of time kind of producing that record with him and going over the songs and, 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 and bouncing things off of each other, and, and, and a lot of the concepts, and the pack again coming back to the the visual presentation i mean me and him came up with a lot of that me and sam sheeran came up with a lot of that i mean it's but yeah i, I mean the great thing is you know we you know emp is a really inclusive label man i mean we have doyle from the misfits you know we have dollskin who are kind of a young teenage pop punk band you know we have mark slaughter we have autograph we have motor grader we have a killer's confession we have you know strong active rock acts we have strong you know Pop punk acts. We have strong, you know. I mean, we honestly we have EMP Underground, which is a little more subversive kind of underground death metal, black metal. You know, we put out Ancient last year. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's, it's really, you know, we just signed Madame X, which isn't announced yet, but by the time this airs, it will be. You know, we have the Madame X record coming out. We have, you know, again, it's kind of been, and again, Dangerous Toys. We put up Broken Teeth, which is which is Jason McMaster from Dangerous Toys you know, project he did after, you know, Dangerous Toys has kind of been his current thing for 20 years. You know, we just did a deal with Adam Green, the the director of the Hatchet movies, to do some soundtrack stuff with him and, you know, stuff for his TV show Holliston and, and his band. And so, you know, we've got a really interesting, you know, conglomerate of, of, of different styles of hard rock and rock and metal. And it's really inclusive, but it's not any one thing. But yeah, we have kind of veered more into the legacy 80s stuff. Again, that's a lot of what I like and what I'm into. And some of those bands are just great and doing great things. And it's fun. They have a built-in audience and they're all really cool guys and really interested in, in doing things, you know, how we do it. And, and to me, that's the coolest thing is finding artists who really, I share their vision and I can take their vision and build on. I mean, me, I, my, my thing has always been A&R and artist development. I mean, I managed Kamira and got them signed. I managed Swish and got them signed to Virgin. I managed Erase the Gray and got them signed to Universal. I managed Depswan and got them signed to Geffen. I've always been kind of an artist development building guy that was sort of my thing so it's amazing that in 2017 i'm getting to do real a and r and really a and r these great projects and these great records and work with ellison who's you know a brilliant guy in that regard too and been in this business for so long and everybody loves him and, and look i mean dave's my business partner we have the label we have the coffee company he's also my best friend, you know what I mean? It's like, and we, I mean, we talk five hours a day and he's so, he's not really involved in the day-to-day -day operations, but he knows everything going on and we talk every day and he's so in the loop and he still manages Dollskin and, and, and we're so, you know, in sync on everything we do. It's really, it's really a kind of an incredible, you know, thing that we've built here and in, in a really short time too. I mean, it went from zero to a hundred in, you know, a year. And I mean, this label's only been around for, it'll be two years in October, you know, so, we started EMP. Then, now, of course, then uh, by then, uh, Ellison and, and the Megadeth will be on tour with the Scorpions, opening for them all over, or co-headlining, if you want, all over yeah. North America. Um, you know, th there's so much more to talk about. Uh, I am running out I of time. You. I told you. I told you. I know. I'm running out, I'm running out of time here, but we're, we're, you're definitely going to have to come back on, because I... There's so many things about the challenges and and, and yeah we did we didn't even really talk about them so we we'll didn't really talk about that. actually <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do it again and and you know you get me so excited because you 
everybody for years, you know, for 20 years, everybody's been, it's, it's over, it's over, rock is over, and it's blah, blah. And you and Allison are, no, it's not. Here's Autograph. Here's uh, Doyle. Exactly hell Here's Dolls. You know? Here's Kick Trace. You know, th there's an excitement, and I haven't heard a label guy be excited about music since, you know, the turn of the millennium. And it's, it's a shame, because we should be excited about new music and new product and giving fans what they want. And that's what EMP you know, and does. And that's what we try and do. I mean, me and Allison are both huge music fans. Look, I'll tell you straight out, you know, when I was 15 years old, you know, my favorite bands were Megadeth and Slaughter. Now I run a label with David Ellison, and I just put up Mark Slaughter's record. That's some of his best stuff he's done in his career. How can I not be excited? I'm working with bands every day that I love, putting out records that I love. And, yeah, it's challenging, and it's hard, and it's hard to make things connect, and it's a hard marketplace, and it's hard to make money, but... but who cares? You know what I mean? I'm putting out amazing records and doing amazing. I mean, dude, I'm in this to save rock and roll. That's it. You know what I mean? So yeah, money would be cool. And, and, and it's, you know, it's a business. You got to make money and figure out how to make those things match up at the end of the day. And, and, you know, and, and kind of make those things that resolve each other, you know, resolve to each other. But at, at the end of the day, it's about music and about putting out things you love. And, and, and that's exactly what I'm doing. So, I mean, how can I not be excited? You know, I know. And, and, and that's also why I do these interviews. I'm just such a great, great fan of all these bands and for so many years people were just ignoring them who wants to talk to the scorpions who wants to talk to mark slaughter and and so i said okay you know what i'll do it i'll talk to them and let's get this going and let's get this out there and and you know hey yeah, and, and you've for a long time been a, a champion of this style of music, which again, now people are going back and the, the, there's a new generation going back and rediscovering it. But, you know, even the older people who originally liked it are kind of going back. And look, there's a lot of them who are just there the whole time. Like Mark, I'll say this, Mark Slaughter has the most amazing, passionate fans I've ever seen in my life. They love Mark. They love Slaughter. They love, and, and, you know, and I look through it. I've gotten involved with Slaughter and Dana. Look, they're all amazing guys. And dude, I just saw him last Saturday. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. And Mark just got over having pneumonia for three weeks. You know what I mean? And, and it was literally, I've seen Slaughter 10 times, and this was the best they've ever sounded. And it was amazing. And it's just, you know, these guys are still so passionate passionate and and rock so damn hard that you know you can't even you, you, what can you say you know the mark's record speaks you know halfway there speaks for itself you go see these bands live go see autograph live i mean it speaks for themselves you know it really does man they're these bands are all doing really amazing things and i'm just proud to be part of it yeah you're right about that i, I saw autograph live earlier this year they're phenomenal and i saw slaughter in uh, july and in fact i was going to do an interview with mark slaughter and we we ended up walking around this casino for about an hour, and we did everything but the interview. So that that is something that, <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that tends to happen. I remember we talked that night. You're like, yeah. you, I'm like, do you do the interview? You're like, nope, we just hung out. I'm like, it happens. It's like now we're supposed to be talking about the challenges of running a record label, and you know, now we got to do another interview to talk about what the interview is about. <laughs> That's right. And I do have an interview with uh, Steve Lynch of Autograph in the can and coming up on a future episode. Yeah, uh, talking about their Steve. new album. And that is just going to be great. And I will be right back after this. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. Welcome back. I will spare you the long introduction because it is Rudolf Schenker of the Scorpions. We know Rudolf. We know the Scorpions. We know their track record. So you've heard all the pre-talk. and we, You heard the uh, my intro and, and the interview with Tom. So without further ado, here is... The star of the show, the one, the only, guitarist Rudolf Schenker. Magic is happening, see? <laughs> yes. 
Pleasure, to, pleasure yeah, to speak with you again. It's been it's been about a year or so that we haven't uh, spoken. Yeah. All right. Now let's talk. So so let's talk. Let, let's start off with what's uh, September nineteenth. You're coming to Montreal, and you've got this tour going on with Megadeth. So so let's start with that. Um, talk to me about the pairing first, because you've got a hard rock band with more of a thrash band. Uh, as a fan, I think it's great. I like both bands, uh, but. You know, tell me about it. How did this happen? I, this was it's happening because we already were often enough in contact, Dave and me, or Dave and the band. And lately, Dave and me in uh, Tokyo, when we did the classic Rock Awards uh, show in the wrestling arena with eight, 9,000 people, including Jeff Beck was there and Jimmy Page and uh, two guys from Def Leppard, and then uh, Richie Sambora, it was really, ah, and Johnny Depp was there, uh, and uh, of course the guitar player Warren Aerosmith. Um, it was really a great kind of uh, meeting between real uh, rocking guys. So, And somehow, um, when I spoke to Dave, we had the feeling it would be great to play together, <clears throat> especially that uh, Dave, it's a big fan of my guitar playing. Uh, uh, he likes the rhythm guitar. He mentioned the three guitar players. The rhythm guitar player he liked the most is uh, Keith Richard, the Malcolm Young and me. And that's, uh, yeah, it's connected. The family is connected. And we, um, because we wanted to uh, play an, uh, an, again in the United States and Canada, and uh, we, our, we told our um, agency, and they connected everything. And so now we are playing in our one of the favorite uh, towns in Canada, uh, Montreal, again. And of course, the other uh, uh, cities are very nice as well. But somehow Montreal has this kind of, uh, let's say, a French, European, American, Canadian kind of uh, feeling, very special one, and yeah, and we we are looking very much forward to come again and rocking you guys. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. Now, um, I was a longtime friend with James Kotak, and I was disappointed when he left the band. But you brought in Mickey D, so you you, you blew my mind on that one because you know had you gotten sort of Mike Smith from Albany, I would have went meh. But Mickey D, uh, talk to me about what he brings to the band, because as a longtime fan, I'm just looking at him going, this is going to be great. I mean, what a match made in heaven. <laughs> I mean, I tell you one thing. First of all, I'm very sad about uh, James kind of, let's say, um, staying in the Scorpions. I always thought that he will be until to the end with us. But somehow, uh, surrounding like maybe a wife and all this kind of things, which was, uh, let's say, uh, beating him, um, he really changed and we gave him a lot of kind of possibilities to really, we paid his uh, kind of rehab and we tried to really make things happening. So, uh, but then somehow when Mickey D came in and we noticed that maybe uh, the traveling 
going from Los Angeles to Europe so often again, it's also a fact of uh, that he was not stable. So, you know, being in a business class or first class traveling from America to Europe, I mean, there is everything there. You can really party even with you by yourself. But somehow we tried to get uh, James on the right track. And we wait. We were waiting for the last three years, actually, or maybe even yeah, since MTV Unplugged, at least. So and yeah, we couldn't uh, change it. So and uh, because I mean uh, to book a tour and then also traveling around the world and and everything is set up, the crew and 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 you can't really um, count on somebody who is not stable. So in this case, when uh, Lemmy died, and as exactly Lemmy is, was and is still a good friend of us, even when he is not alive, he's still here. No question about this. Um, and he was always a big fan of the Scorpions. We were big fans of uh, of uh, of Motorhead, and somehow, somehow, destiny was calling, because then. We we didn't we wasn't sure what do we do when we go to America can can't we uh, can we uh, maybe uh, count on James so we told James James stay a little bit longer in rehab and still and 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 so and then Mickey came in and somehow it's like really something that he actually was so happy to come to the Scorpions because he knows from the inside of Motorhead how Lemmy was talking about the Scorpions. And he, Mickey, was actually also always a Scorpions fan. That was like the uh, love at first thing, love at first sight. It's something we played, we rehearsed, and things came together. We played in the uh, United States. The tour was going well. The next stuff, and, 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 and. So in this case, we were calling... Um, uh, James and said, James, you know, it's maybe better you setting something up in Los Angeles instead of traveling always with your sickness still in your bone, traveling to Europe, and maybe you notice that you don't have the energy left to do what you want to do. So in this case, we said to... um, Mickey D, Mickey, you, our guy, we had to make a decision. And somehow, destiny was happening because of the death of uh, uh, Lemmy. It was the right timing. Matthias called uh, Mickey D, and Mickey was ready, and we start uh, working together. And I tell you one thing, it's a new, it's, you know, uh, in the old days, when the car had to really... Um, the, the engine didn't run as right. long as maybe uh, running now. You had to have, after a while, after 100,000, you had to exchange engine. And so, and we feel like that in a moment. Yeah, and because he, Mickey comes with a new energy. And that's also sometimes important. But we wouldn't, we would like to have James in it. But, you know, in this 50 years, of uh, well, 52 years now of our career, yeah, we had a few changes, and because we always was looking into the philosophy 
when I started the band in 65, my point why I get if, an infected by rock music, by making music by myself, was not Jim, uh, Elvis Presley uh, and Little Richard and uh, all these guys, Jerry Lewis. I get affected, but not to really play because I didn't want to be the only person in front playing music. I wanted to have other people around me. And when the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Pretty Things came, I said, yes, that's the way. And the way was music is the first thing and also having people around with the right chemistry and having people around you can build friendship with. And I think this is the point which carries the 52 years um, with the Scorpions. And that's the reason why now uh, Mickey D is there. Friendship in one hand to James. We know that somehow he would not had the power to really make it. The uh, Mickey D, it's next door to us in uh, Gothenburg in Sweden, and he is by car. He, he, he drives actually a Lamborghini Huracan, so he is in uh, one half hour, maybe in two and a half, <laughs> actually uh, next door here in the studio and is rocking. Yeah, and and I, I did want to touch upon the uh, the member changes because the band, you know, when you look at Kiss or Iron Maiden or something, you know, Rob, Rob Halford's not in Priest, people want a reunion tour, and, and Bruce is not there, and they, they want a reunion tour. The Scorpions have changed members, but nobody's begging for a reunion tour. You seem to have a renouveau or a new energy every time you change a member, and it's, it's actually quite um, remarkable that, that you're able to do that. Um but I do want to talk about Taken by Force, the album. It came out in 1977, 40-year anniversary. Can you Thanks take me? That. Yeah, can you take me back to the studio with that one? It was, of course, the last one with Uli John Roth. Just a fine, fine piece of work, and it's actually 40 years old. Any memories of recording it or, or what it meant of for the band? Okay. Lots of lots of memories because I remember when Uli John Roth was running into Monica Dannemann, the latest girlfriend of Jimi Hendrix. I know, I remember very well when I was sitting with him in the Speakeasy. That's the was the most hippest uh, club in uh, in London, where all the uh, uh, musicians like Jimi Hendrix, like is everybody, like who was uh, uh, musician-wise a big guy, was there. It was a club. There was only four members, so and I was then is sitting there, and Ulrich was uh, kicking my my foot and saying, "Rudolf, here, look, there is Monica. You see?" I said, "Yes." What I can do? I said, "Go to her and invite her to the concert in the Marquis Club." He said, "You you think so?" I said, "Yes. Why not? It's the best way." So that's what he did. He there became a couple, and when I saw that. I know that Uli will make his own way. Because, as you can see, I mean, uh, Take by Force even was more a, a, a Scorpions album uh, in the tradition of now than it was with Entrance, Light to the Rainbow, and uh, Virgin Killer. Because if you s uh, listen to Entrance, Virgin Killer, Flight to the Rainbow, 
you hear more two different styles, but excellent mixed Jimi Hendrix with Klaus and me composing was a hard piece to do. But Uli was musical and good enough, and we were friends. That was a very important point, that nobody tried to force his thing. I was working as hard as I can uh, on, on uh, Uli's pieces, and Uli did the same thing uh, on my composition. So and this was a very, very important point. When then we had, after Uli was running into um, uh, Monica Dannemann, right. and I noticed already that he uh, uh, were losing focus in the Scorpions. But then one day, uh, in, on Sunday, one Sunday morning, the, the door was ringing, and I was opening the door, and Uli was in front of me. He said, Rudolf, I have to tell you something. Can I come in? I said, yes. And then he said, Rudolf, I want to quit the band. I said, yeah, all right. And he was very shocked because I didn't try to, to uh, let's him. say... Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, convince him. So, and, but I said, look, I know that you will do your own thing. You know why I have to tell you something and waste my energy? So, but you know what very important is that we finished this Taken by Force as a very important piece. So that he said, yeah, I'm ready for it. So, and then he really, he worked his ass off to make this album working well. And Monica Dannemann even was writing this uh, um, will burn the sky yeah. in, in the situation of Jimi Hendrix. So, but then another thing came in that Udo, Mr. Udo from Japan, he was going and said, hey guys, you are, have already one uh, uh, gold or platinum album in, uh, with Virgin Killer in Japan. I want you guys that you play in, the, uh, in, in, uh, in life in Japan in uh, 1978s uh, on this tour we said yeah okay we have to talk to Uli and we had to work very hard Klaus and me to go re convince Uli and said Uli look this taken by uh, this album um, Tokyo Tapes that will be a masterpiece the history of Uli you being with the Scorpions you, we can do something very special out of it so after a while he was convinced, and he did this uh, album also take Tokyo tapes. But as I remember, for doing um, Taken by Force, he was really working hard to get this done. And also, by the way, it was somehow the first appearance of Herman Rebel being into the Scorpions. And Herman Rebel was a very important part into the next part of the Scorpions into the Schenker minor composition and also in the vision to play in America and make a worldwide um, um, career because he was already uh, had an England experience with uh, the guitar player from Steppenwolf because he had a band with the guitar player of Steppenwolf and he was managed by as, uh, I think Slezak, uh, some people from the Apple company, uh, from the Beatles, uh, managed us. And um, so in this case, it was a change, a very strong change and a hard change. But somehow Uli made his part very good. And Uli asked me, because he had next year, he has 
50 years, uh, 40 years uh, experience of uh, playing as a musician. Uh, and he asked me, because he wanted to make a big party in uh, Tokyo, in a big hall, uh, whether I can be a part of it. And I, of course, because what Uli did for the Scorpions, and as a person, I like him very much. I said, okay, Uli, as long as I can uh, bring it into my uh, schedule, I will be there. And then with Matthias coming in after that, we get into the Love Drive era, which became sort of the classic era, especially for many Americans, that, that lasted all the way up until Crazy World. Um, before I get to that, though, Return for, to Forever came out in uh, 2015. Great album. I love that yeah. album. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I tell, you, I tell you one thing. This one, in the 80s, would be a masterpiece. Absolutely. Had it been released in 1988, it would have sold 10 million. Easily. Easily. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, of course, some of the songs did, uh, like Rock My Car and stuff, did sort of date back to those times. But now that you've got Mickey D in the band, where are we in terms of a new album? Not a live album, not a DVD, just new material. Is that something that you, that you want to do at this point and get Mickey on some songs? Or is it like, listen... We have enough songs. We I, can just, you know. No, no. I tell you one thing. The situation of the Scorpions, because when we with our farewell tour, we meant it very, very clearly because we didn't know that we could really be as strong like now. We didn't know at this time. We thought, nee, no, with 66, 68, 69, no, it's not possible, especially with Klaus as a singer. You know, singer, look, all the singers, they always have problems when they're getting into a certain age. So what we said, and that was the same situation why we got turned around, was first of all uh, Facebook because of the new generation, young generation. There was, uh, when, we, when Facebook started, there were around 80% of fans, uh, there were around 2 million or 3 million between uh, 14 and 18 years old, so in, or to, uh, 14 and 28 years old. That was a very new generation. Then also um, seeing all these young fans in front of the stage was fantastic. And then also, of course, um, when we got the, uh, uh, after the, 12, uh, the uh, 18th or 20th of uh, December, we did the last concert in Munich, and we were we booked already our vacation, but then we got on the tenth of January two thousand thirteen, the phone call from MTV unplugged. They are asking for this album, and they are saying that would be fantastic if you guys can do it. We always wanted to do it, MTV unplugged in the eighties and early nineties, but we were always booked because we were always worldwide on the tour on the on the road. So in this case, because with a great uh, producer team like Mikael and Martin, the Swedish guys, we said, okay, we do that. It became a fantastic, uh, um, um, successful uh, thing. So And then the 50 years came in. We couldn't say no to the party where only maybe uh, um, uh, the Who and also the Rolling Stones and the Beach Boys, and then uh, late last year, uh, Pink Floyd were a part of it. And we from Germany, 50 years, yes, we have to do it, and we did it. 
So in this case, what we said to us because of this uh, album, of course we want to do an album with Mickey D, but we have to have the right uh, theme. It has to be a right project where we got inspired and we wait for this impulse. When this impulse comes in to motivate us and give us the kick, yes. I mean, uh, when I listen now to Metallica's latest album, it's a great album. I don't know why they came into this situation, but I think after they were struggling a little bit, like doing something with the guys from, uh, um, what Lou, is his name? Uh, Velvet uh, Underground. Lou Reed. Well, yeah, Lou Reed. And, Lou and Reed. Lulu. And all this kind of thing. I think they were on the part where they didn't know where to go. But this album, the latest one, is fantastic. Yeah. So you have to be inspired, especially uh, with this kind of music, which you can't hit the charts immediately. Maybe you can hit the heart on the stomach of the fans, but the fans are very, very sensitive, and they know immediately whether it's only a product uh, you they want the uh, the band want to do because they have to do, or it's a product they feel they have to do. And that's a very important point. We ready for it in the moment when we got inspired. Well, well, to be inspired, I would, I would listen to Taken by Force for hours upon hours. Um, I know we're running out of time, so I'll finish on this. The tour is called, of course, Crazy World. That album came out in 1990. Uh, what did that album mean for the band's career? Because when you have Send Me an Angel, Winds a Change, uh, you know, uh, Tease Me, Please Me, massive songs. And, of course, it was the final uh, album with the uh, lineup that included Francis and Herman, what did it mean for the band? Uh, Herman, Herman did, I think Herman did one more. Herman did also... Uh, uh, well, he did Pure Instinct. Uh, no, Face the Heat. Face uh, the Heat. Here, no, face, no, the heat. face the Heat, right. Face, right. face the Heat. That was Herman's right. thing. But uh, Francis Buchholz, yes, right. So, yeah, the question is... Well, the question was, what did the album mean for the band in terms of its career? Because it was massive, thanks to Winds of Change. Um, okay, i tell you one thing what it means. That means, why are we coming up with this? Because the world is crazy. Very crazy. The world was crazy in 1988, 89, 90. It was crazy in a positive way. Now, the world is crazy in a negative way. So, the point is, the, we don't. We are not politicians. We don't. We not a political band. But we want to stay a sign that the world is crazy. And music, I think it's like in the 60s, 70s. Music is the most powerful weapon without killing people, but bringing people together. And that's the reason why we're touring, why we're playing music. The people are asking for us. And we're saying crazy word. And hopefully we can uh, do something with our music. I mean, when we um, did uh, a crazy world and where we were, uh, Klaus was writing uh, the uh, soundtrack of uh, Wind of Change, uh, the soundtrack of the most peaceful revolution on earth. I mean, there was something being invited from Mr. Gorbachev, uh, a, a leader of you. Uh, SSR. I mean, that was something we, we, we did the whole thing. We were the part of the changes, not only watching on TV. No, 88, Leningrad, 10 concerts, uh, 89, 
Music Peace Festival, Two Nights Lenin Stadium, with Motley Crue, with Bon Jovi, with Ozzy Osbourne, Cinderella, and, 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 and. I mean, that was something. We were part of these changes, the crazy changes in a positive way. So, and now we only want to set, look, guys, remember this time and please make it happen that we survive these crazy times. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'll finish with this. The uh, 50th anniversary deluxe editions of Blackout, Love at First Sting, all that, that came out a couple of years ago. Absolutely fantastic. And I hope that you have more in the vaults and that we can get, you know, the same kind of deal for In Trance and Flight of the Rainbow and all those albums. Uh, no, we're working on it. We're working on it. We're working on it. And I tell you one thing, it would be great if you can make it happen. Tell uh, the organizers that you come in backstage in Montreal and we have a drink together, okay? Yes, absolutely. And uh, Rudolph, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, goodbye. Bye-bye now. Ciao. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Hey, Mitch here. And uh, are you in the market for a new car? And want to see what others have paid? Well, in order to feel confident and comfortable that you are getting a fair price, you need pricing context. Information that empowers you to feel confident. With True Car, you will see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want. From there, you can connect with a local True Car certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Using True Car, you can easily find the car you want. True Car will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now that you know what a fair price is, you can feel confident. Once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. This is a competitive pricing offer to you only by True Car certified dealers for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. True Car customers are more likely to enjoy a fast buying process when they connect with True Car certified dealers. True Car users save an average of $3,000 off MSRP. When you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Or go to podcastone.com slash mysurvey. It only takes a few minutes, and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash mysurvey. Or click on the survey banner on podcast one.com now back to rock talk with mitch lafon welcome back to rock talk and uh, this is the uh, final episode for august of 2017 and so i will conclude guns and roses month over here at rock talk with mitch lafon with a earlier interview i had done with Steven Adler. This goes back to the beginning of 2017. It got a lot of press coverage in 
Rolling Stone magazine, Blabbermouth, Brave Words, all kinds of places. But I have never, never, never uh, presented it to you here on Rock Talk. So consider this an encore presentation. And for those who have never heard it, consider this an exclusive interview. So uh, from 2017, here is former Guns N' Roses drummer Steven Adler. We are speaking with one of the greatest (laughs) drummers of the 80s and 90s, the one and only Steven Adler of course, famously in Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Uh, Stephen, it is always a great pleasure to talk to you. And um, let, let, let's, um, <laughs> let, let's just start off with, you know, how are you doing these days physically? We, we've read about heart attacks, and we've read about this, and we've read about that. And No, okay, you read, read, don't believe everything you read. Okay. I never had a heart attack. In 1994, I was shooting cocaine. And I, ha- I, ha- I gave myself a mild stroke, but it, ju- it affected my speech. But once I started working with Dr. Drew on that celebrity rehab, he brought in a speech therapist and he helped me uh, learn, basically learn how to talk again. I mean, I'm not the greatest yet, but I'm a hell of a lot better than I was. <laughs> and physically, I've never been better. I, I, me and my brother, you know, been going to the gym. Actually, this morning, me and my mom and my brother went to the gym and you know i do the treadmill for 30 minutes this is some rock music and i just feel great you know it's a good way to start the day off that and i've been been practicing uh the four agreements it's a book by juan uh, miguel ruiz and the four agreements are be impeccable with your words which means without sin impeccable means without sin don't take things personal don't make assumptions and always do your best. No more, no less. And number five is actually be aware of being aware. And I can't believe that a book, which is so easy to read, it's like a, a Dr. Seuss book. It's like Sesame Street. It's so easy to read and understand. And, I, and a book has changed my life. And that's what's incredible. That and the playing. I practice every day because I love to play. Yeah, yeah, and I know the GNR. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I just was—I was going to say—I've seen those videos online where you're doing, um, "You Could Be Mine," which is a song that you know on the album, whatever you weren't on, and and yeah. you sounded great. So, so sort of just quickly. Because I am great. God damn it! <laughs> Can't be great and not know it. <laughs> no, but you're right. No, but you want to see me play? I, 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 when I went to Argentina with the guys last about three months ago last year, um. I only got to play one song each show. So uh, some friends of mine, uh, Pablo and Chino, they're, um, they're uh, promoters out there, and they have a club called The Roxy. So after the second show, um, they got a bunch of like really big musicians, and even the guitar I got the guitar player who opened for Gino in Argentina. His band was so great. I wish I could think of it. But he was kicking ass. Put it this way, this guy was so good that if Slash went out to watch him play, he would have went right into his dressing room and started fucking practicing. So when they were done playing, I asked the guy, I said, I'm doing this show at the Roxy. Uh, come down and can you come down and play a few songs with me? So we, I had a show at the Roxy in Argentina, and we played for like, from like two, two, to, um, 2 to 5 in the morning. And I played all those songs that I didn't get to record on, on uh, uh, Loser Records, you know, Don't Cry, 
back off, bitch. You could be mine. And the heaven's door, but that's not GNR. But uh, you could go on YouTube. Everybody who, who listens to this yeah. in their interview, you can go on YouTube and check it out. I, I already have checked it out. Go on StevenAdlerArt.com. And if anybody's interested, it's called Rhythm on Canvas. And I, I basically, I play each song from Appetite and, and uh, Civil War, which I played in, the, you know, in Argentina too. Right. And we made 50 prints of them. And I'm, I only got, I think there's like, like 50 prints of each one. And I think there's only like 75 left. So if anybody's interested in getting a piece of, you know, GNR memorabilia of me playing the songs you go like I said, you go on the, the website stevenadlerart.com and check it out. There's only a few left and we're not making no more. And of course I have my book, you know, My Appetite for Destruction. And my mom. Let's get to my yeah, mom. That that's why you're calling today. Um it is of course Sweet Child of Mine by Deanna Adler. Um I am sweet. Yeah, I can, I, I, I can agree to that. Uh, tell me a little bit about your reaction when your mom, because, you know, I've spoken to your mom, and she said over the last 30 years she, she's been writing down these notes and, and thoughts and ideas and disappointments and, and great compliments. And when she comes to you and says, okay, I'm going to release this stuff, because it's very personal, were you like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, wait a minute, mommy. No, no, no. Let's not. Or, no, or not okay. at all, okay. dude. I was like, good for you. You know, and I said that she's been keeping notes. Everybody should write about their life. I think everybody should write a book. I mean, maybe not going to publish, but write a book about your life. And you get, once you do something like that, like when I wrote my book, it was this huge weight lifted off of me. You know, because there's, you know, I talked about like when I was like 13, I used to hang out at, at rock clubs you know, hanging out with people in places I shouldn't be. But I was 13, I thought I was 23, which most kids probably do. But, you know, um, where I got, I was drugged and sexually molested. And, you know, it was once I said that out loud and got that out of my system, it was like, holy shit. And then so many people have come up to me and saying, you know, how they have been open, able to open up about it and how they feel better. So writing about your life, it's like, Hey, get it out of great the good and the bad, and you get out of your system and you move forward. So yeah. I'm proud of her for doing that. That and plus she kept notes of everything, and I don't remember shit, you know, because of the drugs and alcohol. I don't remember the '90s. The hell happened then? I couldn't tell you, but my mom could. <laughs> were there she some, wrote about it. <laughs> were there some things that you look back and went, "Really, I, I did that? Really?" I, I, oh, of course. Oh, my God. If they had cell phones with video recorders on it, I would be in serious shit. Because the things I did, you know, it wasn't until later on before I got sober that my wife would film me. And I, because, you know, like I come to the next day and, and she would say, you did this and you did that. I can't, what the hell? And this and that. And I said, I did not do any of those things. And she's like, oh, yeah? And she shows me the video. I'm like, oh, shit, I did do that. I got a problem. I got to work on that. I think everybody should film it. If anybody has an addict or alcoholic in their family, film them. Well, they're getting fucked up. Yeah. And the next day is you. And trust me, it is eye-opener. Yeah, it really is. Now, let me ask you about this, because you get a sense through the book that the relationship at times with your mom was difficult and that at times she 
I don't want to. I don't want to say disappointed. Let's say she, she, she felt a little bit overwhelmed, I guess, with the whole situation because, and she told me herself that when you have a family member that's a drug addict, it's the dirty little secret. But when your family member is in Guns and Roses and a million people know it, it's sort of a source of embarrassment. Everybody's like, "Oh, there's the mom who has," you know. How? how did, <laughs> right? I mean, how was that for you, knowing that you've put your mom through that? If that's a, if that's a even a polite way to say it, but was there guilt going, oh, you know, mom, I'm sorry I put you through this, or was it like, listen, it, it is what it is, man. I, what do you want me to do? Well, I, you know what? I'm very sorry I put her through it, because obviously, you know, when, when you drink and do drugs, uh, you're not the same person you are when you're sober, and of course I'm very sorry for what I did, but it is what it is. You know, if I, I mean, I, I like millions of people, I, I, I say now that I'm 52, I say to myself, shit, I really wish I knew then what I know now. That's how it goes. Yep. It is. But like with the GNR thing, you think I don't want to be a part of it? You think Izzy doesn't want to be a part of it? We want to do it right. But we have to re- come to the, the reality. And the fact is, it is what it is. Yeah. And, well, okay, well, and, I'm not, and I have no more resentment. You know, closure. I, I want to ask you and about that. And my mom has closure with her book. Writing this book, all those things that I heard her in the past and her watching me go through. I mean, I didn't do it because I, I would wake up in the morning and go, what can I do to fuck with my mother today? How can I hurt her? Of course not. But it is what it is. But now that she wrote this book and she got her feelings out, she has grown so much and this the weight of all that anxiety and, and, and depression and sadness, now that she wrote it, it's out of her system and she can move forward. And everybody should do that. Write their own life and get yeah. that. The only thing that matters about the past is yesterday. Did I do anything that today I have to apologize or make amends or be ashamed about? No. So it's a beautiful fucking day, as far as I'm concerned. And that's that. Yeah, and you know... That's the only thing that matters about the past. Everything that I did, my grandfather... I, I, I remember when I, I gave my grandfather, my, uh, my grandparents, uh, my first gold and platinum record. And I gave it to my grandpa, and this is my joker grandpa. I gave it to him. I said, yeah, Grandpa, look, I, I'm successful. I'm famous now. And he says to me, that and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee. Okay? <laughs> That's what it is. Okay? Yep. What I did, I'm, I'm so proud of. I'm so thankful. I mean, I'm proud of what the five of us did. I mean, most people, 99.9% musicians, do not get to fulfill their dreams. And I was one of the blessed lucky ones. And plus, I got to be with some of the greatest musicians. And greatest people. I mean, me and Slash, we grew up together. I know since we were 12, 13 years old. I couldn't ask, I couldn't have prayed or asked God personally to grow up with a cooler friend, you know, who was just so, so great guy. And, and, and still talented. is, of course. Yeah. Then, well, okay, let me, let me just, let me go back in time, just not too long back in time, but July of last year, you're out in Cincinnati, that you're flown in. Yes. And... You appear on stage, you do Out to Get Me, My Michelle, the first time since 1990. So, or, or, the quick math, or 26 years or whatever. 
Um, yeah. What was that like? You know, if you can just bring me back to you know the, the days before you know July first, July second. You know you're gonna have you're on a plane. You know you're gonna be doing this. You know you've done the rehearsal. You know that they're gonna call yeah. you out. What was that like to finally go? Okay, here we are. It was, thank you guys for this beautiful present. I've been playing Appetite, uh, Lies, Use Your Illusion, and the songs, you know, that obviously I didn't get to play on in Use Your Illusion. I was practicing them. I would play 25 songs I was practicing twice a day for two years. So I was like, because once I found out we were gonna, this was going to probably happen, I was like, yes, I'm going to be ready and on top of it. And the second rehearsal, I hurt my back, and I had to have a minor surgery um, where I had a pinched nerve in the L4. And within an hour, I was out of the hospital, and I was all better. And I thought they were going to let me come back, but it didn't happen, and I was resentful. And then I started reading the four agreements, and I talked to my sponsor, and I was all, okay, you're right. You know, no, I'm not going to give them resentments. And then they called me. I was like, holy shit. Here it comes. This is going to be so awesome. I'm still smiling about it. I have dreams about it. My wife goes, what are you smiling about? You're sleeping and you're smiling. I go, I was on stage in front of 70,000 people with Clash and Duff and Axel. I just wish Izzy was there, but I was like, shit, I got to do it. Thank you, God. Because I wanted it for, like you said, 26 years. All I did every day was, please, God, let this happen. Let this happen. I want to play for, with them again. I want to do this. I want the fans. I mean, for 26 years, every time I go out, people, not just one or two, but five, six, ten people, especially when I do shows, it's hundreds. When are you going to get back together? And I wish I could say it would have been, well, we would have never broke up if I had to say. Right. And if you, people think that I got kicked out of Guns N' Roses for doing drugs, they are so mistaken, okay? Everybody in that band was doing drugs. I was doing less than anybody. I got kicked out of the band, and Izzy got kicked out of the band, and then Sasha Duffett was because Axel wanted to take control of everything. He wanted to own the name. He wanted to be the only person who gets paid for the songs. He wanted, you know, to, he wanted to be the manager, the accountant, and everything when all he needs to do is get up there and sing like a motherfucker that he does. But he wanted to own and control everything. Like like Elton John. He wanted to be like Elton John or Billy Joel, you know. That's where the whole piano thing came in. He wants to be a piano man and which is cool, but that's not Guns N' Roses. You should be leave Guns N' Roses the way it is. And then you do solo albums like all musicians and other bands do. But, you know, that's what he wanted to do, and that's what happened. So I was the first to go because was, I was the easiest one. I was the nicest guy. They tricked me. They had me sign some contracts with my lawyer there at the office. And I was completely sick at the time. Um, and they had me sign all the colored paper clips and I had no idea I was signing my rights away, the rights to the name, my royalties. They wanted to basically give me $2,000, throw me in the street. Wow. And That's thank God my mom, you know, realized what went, what happened and she got a lawyer for me. And thank God everything got taken care of. But you know, like we said before, it is what it is. It is. I have no more resentment. If I had resentment, resentment, 
it's like rocket fuel and a match. You light that match, it's going to get messy and really ugly. So and I it, and it over. It just doesn't no, move the no. conversation for. But I, I do want to go back to, to the, the time of the back injury because last year, uh, 2016 in January, we're hearing about there's going to be a Jimmy Kimmel appearance and we're hearing about rehearsals in secret locations in California. And when you were <laughs> when you were rehearsing, what was the understanding? Were you were you were you rehearsing with? We're going to go on the road, and I'm going to do three songs. We're going to go on the road, and I'm going to do ten songs. No. We're going to like what was that understanding? Had you not injured your back, what would have happened? Okay, the understanding was I was going to do all the appetite, the lies, and three or four of the. Uh, Use Your Illusion songs, and then Frank, who was a wonderful, awesome guy, and he was going to do, like, the Chinese Democracy and a couple of the other... Um, the covers, and, and... So it was like, I was going to start it, he was going to come in the middle, and I was going to end it. And I was cool with that. I, I mean, even a psychic, like, about nine years ago in Australia, I talked to... She says, you're going to be back with him, but you're going to share the stage. And I was like, oh, that's cool. As long as it's on that storm, I'm fine. But boom. Just kidding, man. I love you. No, no. But, you know, <laughs> just from a fan, strictly as a fan perspective, I actually like that idea. You know, I've seen the Frank uh, lineup or, or, you know, Frank when Bumblefoot yeah. was there and D. He's a wonderful drummer. He's a wonderful human being. Yeah. I've spoken to him. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Frank. And as a fan, I would no. love to have seen you do your era and him do the other stuff. I, I yeah, been, I thought yeah. that would have been cool. Yes, I only heard. Dude, I I was ready to do the Troubadour show. Like I said, I was been playing like 25 songs twice a day for like almost completely two years every day. So I was ready to go, and then just the second rehearsal, I came into rehearsal in January, February, March, and the fucking second day, I just stretched. All I did was stretch. I put my arms in the air to go, oh, stretch, you know? And I go, I just did something. And then we played right. another seven songs, and then my back was really sore, and I came home about eight at night, and then by midnight, I couldn't even stand up. I couldn't even, I couldn't even, it was just terrible. So I oh, I know. I've had the back for like, I was out. I was out for two weeks, and then I got you know, uh, I got the epidural after about a week, and then I, I I I had the surgery about two weeks. I was ready when they did the Troubadour show, and Dove called me up, and or I I Dove called me and said, "Dude, you're not gonna, you're not gonna play with us anymore. You're not gonna do these shows." And I was like, "You're the worst fucking person in the world." And I hung up on him. And I said that. I called, I texted, called him back and left a message saying, I'm so sorry I said that. When I said that he was the worst person in the world, I didn't mean he was because I was thinking I was the worst person in the world. That I couldn't even fucking get back with my fucking guys after they gave me this opportunity. But I said it to him. And when, when, when you have, you know, when you're, you have resentment, you say things that, you know, that you're feeling and I was feeling that about me and I said it about him and I couldn't apologize to him enough because he knows I love him more than anything. And and I got to apologize because obviously I seen him last year and we did shows together. Uh, let me and ask you this he, was on, I, he understood. Right. 
But let me ask you this from a, from, from a business perspective, because I think sometimes the fans um, who don't understand all the intricacies, and I'm not suggesting I understand them all, um, they think it's, well, Duff doesn't like Steven or Slash, but there is, there is no, the component no. of, of, of tour insurance, and, you know, all of a sudden if they say, well, we're going to have a drummer who has a back injury who might not finish the tour, you know, promoters and, and, and the insurance company gets a little nervous and says, that, that, Well, it, for one, no insurance shit, because we had already, they already had Frank. So right, if okay. God forbid I couldn't do it, okay. then there was Frank. So okay. it's not an insurance thing. They just didn't give me an opportunity. You know, it's, it's cheaper to just have Frank. I mean, they were only paying me uh, not that much. It was really, I was doing it because, thank God, I don't need the money that bad. I was doing it because I want to play with them, and I want to play for the fans. Because Frank is a great drummer, but he does not play the way Steven Adler plays. And Steven Adler doesn't play the way Matt plays. And Matt doesn't play the way that Frank plays. Every, we all have our own style, but my style are, is the one that are on those records that everybody grew up listening to and have memories to. So when Frank's playing those songs, he's not playing them right. He's just really a great timekeeper. I mean, put it this way, they're playing Brownstone. I didn't know they were playing Brownstone until all of a sudden they started singing the chorus. We've been dancing. I'm going, that was Brownstone? Brownstone, you know, instantly. I came up with a kick-ass group, you know that. And I, I'm standing going, what song is this? So, but like I said, we all have our own styles. And the songs that I played on, and even the Illusion ones, if you watch the Roxy show I did in Argentina, that's how those songs go. Oh, yeah, I, I've watched them. That's a, that's but, a great video. You, know, you got to go to YouTube and check that is. out. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it so, is what it is. <laughs> now, so what is your standing in terms Because you, you did a bunch of other shows. You, you, you did the L.A. show. You did some other stuff. Uh, and then you did yeah. the South America. Now, the South America one, that one, again, I'm going to talk just as a fan, puzzled me that you're, you're flown 3,000 miles or whatever to do a 3,000? 3,000? Yeah. What, what was that? I lost 15,000 miles. Dude, I got there. I got there, and I got my, my wife's, all her family, you know, her parents, her sisters, her the sisters' babies, the mother, the aunt. I got, like, nine of them, and I, I was up there, and I was ready, you know, ready to go up, and Axel says, what the fuck is he doing here? He's not supposed to be here till tomorrow. So I was like, excuse me? I just flew 15,000 miles. So I made a few more songs, and they, I came up, he came up, I played one song, and they turned the lights out on me. I went back behind a drum riser, and I was like, what the fuck? And everybody in the crew came around and started hugging me and going, dude, we love you, Steve, it's okay. I, I mean, like the whole crew, there was like 20 people came and was hugging me. And then the next night, I did one more song again. And other parts... Um, I don't even want to talk about it. All I know is the best part of it was me and my wife got to be together with her family for the first time in 16 years. But I've seen her family, and she's seen her family, but we never seen them together. So that was great. And the Roxy show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they asked me to go to, to, to um, which I, I, I obviously misunderstood, to go to Australia 
and uh, Japan and I think Thailand. And then um, I was all, yeah, I would love to do that. And But then they found out that it was either one. It was you could either come to Australia or you could talk about or you could go to Japan or you could go to Thailand. And I said, oh, I, I can't I can't do that. But like I said, I, I got some closure and I'm thankful I got to do what I do. I so, love those guys. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I don't want anybody to 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 who's listening to take this as being we're bashing or it's negative because I really don't think it's oh, negative no, at all. Oh no, no, yeah. no, not at all. Please don't. I mean, I love those guys. It is what it is. You know, I wanted to be what I wanted to be is the five of us, and what Axel wanted to be is what he wanted to be, and I respect him for it. I'm just glad I got to be a part of it for the good part when it was fun. And exciting. Yeah, and, it was and, magical when we were together. Even back then, even our worst show was great. <laughs> you know, it was just magic. It was very special, and I couldn't be more, you know, feel more blessed or thankful that I got to be a part of it. I'm more proud. I'm proud. I'm gonna die proud. I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah, and I and and I like I told you before, I, I saw you open for Aerosmith at the uh, Saratoga Performing Arts Center in New York years ago. Yes, and I remember getting there because it was the permanent vacation tour or whatever, or one of those. And yeah, that was it. And I got there, and and I and and they said, uh, you know, who's opening tonight? And they said, oh, it's the Guns N' Roses. And I went, who the hell are they? And they said, oh, it's the next big yeah. thing. It's the next big thing. And I went, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, it's the next big thing. And yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you guys destroyed, and I was like. Oh yeah, okay. That might be the next. Bit. Like I just remembered, there was this piss and vinegar. Oh, yeah. and somebody yeah. threw a bottle. Of I Axel knew we and, went, oh. when we yeah. appetite. Every time we record a song, and then we go in, into the monitor, into the, the boardroom, and we listen to it. And every time, we, every time we did a song, I go and listen. I said, "This is gonna be fucking huge. We're gonna be so fucking huge. This is so great." So I, we all knew it was gonna be something. It just took a little bit, to, you know, to get out there. <laughs> Now, I, I want to go back on, on the word you used before closure, because I, I know sort of psychologically speaking, that means that you sort of come full circle with an event and all that. But does it mean closure on the band altogether? Like the band's coming, for example, to Montreal in August. Uh, is there like zero chance we'll see you ever again? Or is there, well, hey, if they call me, I'll come out. I mean, how much of no, a closure closure it, are it, we? It, okay, I have closure to where if they want to do it, the right way with the five of us. And like I said, I'll share the stage with Frank. I don't care. You know, as long as I'm there, you know, doing my songs, I don't care. Um, if they want to do it to five of us, I am there. I love those guys. I'm proud of what the five of us, and since the five of us are still alive, I think five of us should play for our fucking fans. Yeah, I agree. Give them what they want. I mean, I live a beautiful, comfortable life because people, all five of us, still love our music. And that's every musician's dream is to make music that people love. Not just for a week or a month or a year. This is 30 fucking years. And people, I, every time I get in the car, one of our songs, and I go, actually, I go, okay, there's 25 cents. <laughs> yeah, there's there's my uh, my mechanical royalty, but um, yeah, there's uh, my twenty five cents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let, um, let me take let me take Izzy out for a second, just just out of the equation, because we all know that Izzy's the heart and soul, and he and he's he's the great songwriter, and, and 
There's no, no, no. I'm the. <laughs> I'm the artist. So. Right. Uh, well, okay. He's the cool. He's the key. Oops. Now the, the the phone keeps dropping out on me here, so I'll be careful on this. But, um, uh, uh, Richard Fortas, though, uh, I've seen Richard with the band for 15 years. You have to give him his due, right? I mean, he he's a good oh, performer. God, yes. He's a good okay. Richard is awesome, dude. Did you yes. see him with Cindy? Yes, of course. Oh my God, with Alice Cooper. Yeah, dude, Richard rules. I, I, Are you kidding me? Okay. It was so freaky to be on stage with him because he looks like Izzy. Like from ten feet away, it's Izzy. I'm all, I'm playing. I'm going, yeah. Oh, holy shit! That looks like Izzy. But it's not Izzy. Izzy doesn't play like that. But Richard's amazing. Yeah, I mean he's the, he I did. Love him. Actually, actually, we even wrote a song together uh, backstage after a show or before the show once. Well, okay. So let me talk about that because you're writing songs. Um, will there be another Adler solo album? And and no, no, no. no. You're done with Dude, all that. Rock and roll doesn't sell. Unless I get into a band that's already established, there's no point in doing it, dude. It's such a pain in the ass to fly all over the world and you play little clubs or bars. And, and dude, I am tired of, I am so tired of driving up to the show, to the gig, and going, like, I have a pair of dice in my hand and I go, Come on, seven. Let there be people here. Come on. I walk in. I go, fuck, snake eyes. There's 20 people. Not the same. So unless I get an established band, there's no point in doing it. There's no money. And my whole goal is to play for as many people as possible. Don't get me wrong. I love and appreciate playing for that one or 10 or 100 people. I was thankful. But, you know. I want to. I want to do it right. Yeah, and also, you know, the the effort required because neither one of us are in our twenties anymore. The effort required to get on a bus and and slug from Kentucky to Missouri to, you know, North Dakota. Well, the, the bus. The bus it, part is cool. The bus. Yeah, part, but it's still hard on the back like and the shoulders and the neck and. Yeah, you fly to New York. You fly to you know Kentucky. You fly to Detroit. You know, and you do two shows. They make two hundred bucks, and you come home. It's like, no, 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 it's not worth it. Yeah, no, it's it's Play real shows. It, it it really is. Um, you know, and I know you, I know you probably have to go in a minute, but do you think at any time we will see the Five Guys again, even if it's one song, the national anthem at the Dodger State? I mean, under any circumstance, the Super Bowl would rule. They're well, that would be your Super Bowl. <laughs> now that would be a real reunion. Right? That would be a spectacle. Dude, that would be huge. Dude, if the five of us got back together, there would be the biggest reunion tour ever in rock. Unless John Bonham came back to life, or Jimi Hendrix, or Jim Morrison, and now uh, the, the keyboard player. Yeah, John Paul the Jones. five of us are alive, it would be the biggest thing ever. I mean, people would be so happy. It would be like an event. And you know, and maybe that's what it, it should it, be, it, though. Maybe it should just be that's like what an it event. Could be like that's what it could be. Yeah, but that's not what it is. You know, next year's Coachella or next year's Rock in Rio, just one special. You know, two hundred thousand. Well, I was, I was, 
I asked I I asked Slash if he would have talked to Axel about that like in July uh years that Appetite came out. So I was thinking, why don't we just do like four or five shows at Red Bowl, play all of Appetite from front to you know, beginning to end, throw like Civil War and maybe you know, something off of uh, like like patience and record it, videotape it. And that's it. If that's what all you want to do, and if you guys are, if they're, if Axel's happy after that, then we could do more. Yeah, and, well. and you know, but I thought that would be really cool. But you know, that's my idea. If it was up to me, it'd be a different story. But it is what. God yeah. damn it! It, it is what it, it is. is. What what a great saying that is. <laughs> and you know, it's it's um, you know, it, well, okay. Let, let's let me let, then. Well, I'll finish with this then. Uh, you know, Axel has done <laughs> Axel's done ACDC and Axel has done the band for a while, but you got to give him his due in the sense that he is sounding right now, 2016 and 2017, probably the best that he sounded in the last 15 years. Um, the, dude, the, the, Axel the sh- fucking rules. I agree. Are you kidding me? I agree. He's a fucking rock god. Yes. He's fucking, he, the, his lyrics, how many, how many people can put their feelings into words so poetically and it's so profound. Okay, no, we Robert Plant, Steven Tyler back in the day, but no, Axel Rose, dude, is the main main man of rock singing, dude. Oh, yeah, I dude. love him. I, like I said, I am so I'm proud of the five of us for what we did, and I'm thankful. I'm so glad I got to live my dream. I'm the happiest guy in the world. Now that I don't drink or do hard drugs. I'm the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. yeah and I now I now that I'm not drinking and, and partying, I could I haven't done drugs since two thousand eight. It's been three years since I, I drank. Um and it's been it, I, I've never been happier. Now I could appreciate what I I was blessed and and, and able to be able to accomplish with those guys. Very proud. Well, yeah, anyway, we're, we're, uh, I don't mean anyway, but I mean y- you've got to come out to a, to the to the shows in Canada this year. I, I need to see you one more time. It's been right. since God, I guess uh, I guess it was the uh, Aerosmith time the last time I saw you that lineup live. I guess right. <laughs> yeah, like thirty yeah. years. Well, the last show, I, the last show I did with them was when we did Farm Aid. That's right. Yeah, and that was that was a great. If you guys, if anybody, you go on YouTube, you watch that Farm Aid. So, we did that song down on the farm. Yeah. I never in my life till this day, I have never heard the original version. I had no idea we were playing it. I had no idea what was going on. But if you watch it, it kicks ass. I was like, holy crap. That's how good we were. We didn't know what each one of us were doing, but we were doing it together. So it was great. Yeah. And then of course, magic. Farm Aid had your performance of Civil War. Which was yeah, but that was before I recorded it, right? And so it, I didn't have it completely down. If you notice, it's a it's a little different than the record version because we only had we've only been playing it for maybe like a week, you know. So we were still getting our parts down. Yeah, but it, but it, it was great. Yeah, it, it was it, magic still. See, it still worked. It still worked. Well, that, see, that's the thing about the original five guys is that a lot of the shows weren't perfect but that's the exactly what you wanted because there was this element of surprise this element of rawness and it was a real live show and yeah that's it, rock and roll yeah and you live. can't you, you, we go in there 
this is what happens. This is what you're going to get. God knows what's going to happen. Let's just have fun and kick ass. Yeah, and that's, and you know, yeah, because last night I saw a show and there was a singer and a drummer with an electronic uh, drum kit and two keyboard guys. Well, not keyboard guys. They had Apple computers instead of a bass player and a guitar player. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, how I... is this a rock show? <laughs> like... No, I don't like See, I don't, that, that, you know, you want to, I hate that, dude. That is the worst. I mean, you want to, you know, I practice every day. I would go to parks and play. I would go to empty warehouses. I would go on top of Mulholl and drive and set my drums up and practice every day and believe in myself and pay my dues. You know, I feel like I, I feel like at least I, I've earned to be able to play music. I don't like when people are making on computers other people's music and putting it together. No, <laughs> I want to see real music. I want to see screaming guitars and fucking explosion drums and booming bass and some guy with the raspy voice is just angry, like Guns N' Roses. <laughs> exactly like Guns N' Roses, the, the world's most dangerous rock band, and and shall remain. Now, uh, we did we did set this up here to talk about uh, the books we child of mine. So let's let's not forget to mention that that it's uh, how I lost no, my, my son mom, to Guns N' Roses. I'm so thankful. My yep. mom did so great, and I'm so proud of her for doing it. And it's a, she did a great job, you know. And like I said, her doing that, getting that all out of her system. She has closure now, and now she's on a new chapter of her life, just like myself, and it's a wonderful feeling. Well, you know, the other wonderful feeling for fans, for myself, you know, is there was all this sort of acrimonious stuff about Steven and his mom. They don't like each other. They don't talk. And then here you are doing the, the press junkets together. You're on, her, what was that show out in L.A.? L.A. Today or whatever it was called. And it's, yeah, it's Good just, Day L.A. Good, good Day L.A., and, and it's just nice yeah. to see that it's, it's you know, as we get older, it's, it, you can't hold on to grudges forever. And it's it's just uh, nice to I, see family back together and, you know. It's, well, it, it, it was part of the resentment that I had towards it. Plus, how many teenage kids like their parents? You know, not many. <laughs> well, when I was growing up, teenage, yeah. you know, teenagers didn't like their parents. And I want. I was very outgoing. I wanted to do my thing, but the fact is that was whole resentment. Human beings are the only animal that punish each other for a mistake they made. They'll punish for one mistake. They'll punish each other hundreds of times. When animals, let's say coyotes or wolves, one of them messes up, they jump on him. He scores away. And then he comes back a little while later, and it's over. It's not like a week later they jump on him, on the, on him again for what he made the mistake he made a week ago. It's like my mother's old; she's gonna die one day. That's just a fact, okay? Unfortunately, and I don't want to have no resentment towards her. You know, I'm too old. I I want to move on with my life. I yeah, yeah. Closure yeah. and moving forward. Yeah, I can't live in the past anymore. I did it for 25 years, and it was majorly destructive to me. And now, I'm I, like I said, I, I have uh, I got a billion pounds lifted off of me. It's wonderful, dude. Yeah, and of course, and uh, I'm very proud of my mom. And and we don't want to fail yeah. fail to mention your brother Jamie. Jamie has been. Uh, very supportive and by your side for for many many years. He of course has his own management stuff with his artists and his bands, and it, you know it's just nice to see all of this and everybody. And it's 
you know. It really is. You know, he's doing so great because, you know, he also got sober about like eight years ago yep. or nine years ago. Yep. And and we actually, after me, my mom, and Jamie, were, we've been going to the gym every morning. Um, we went, after that, we, me and my mom went shopping, and then we went back to his office, and we were hanging out. And that's when he told me to call you. And I was like, we were hanging at his office. And he says, oh, dude, call Mitch up in Canada. I'm like, oh, Mitch in Canada, of course. So. Yeah. It's, it's nice. I mean, dude, resentment sucks. I don't want to hate people. I don't want to hate my family. I to move on. We've all made mistakes. Gives a shit. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Well, you know what? I, it, yeah. The theme is it is what it is, right? So, so there you go, Stephen. That's the theme. That's the theme. It is what it is. Yeah, and and you can't live in the past. Like I said, the only thing that matters in the past is yesterday. If I do anything that today I'm ashamed or I have to apologize for, and no, so. It's a great day. It's a great life today. I'm going to live in heaven and not hell. I'm going to give white magic and not black magic. Yeah, and uh, I got love to give. I got love to give. And and do you, and and hopefully you'll you'll give us some more live performances and some more because it, it it would be a shame that you just sort of sit on the sideline for the next ten years or whatever. It, oh no, there's no sidelines. I'm not. I was on the sideline 25 years ago. So I'll do something. I love playing drums, so, you know, something's going to come up. But, um, you know, God has his way of, you know, working things out. And I'm just going to, my, my, the saying, my, uh, the saying for the year is, my saying for the year is, no worries, brah. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I'm doing just... my Hawaiian brothers. My Hawaiian brothers, you know, I was in Hawaii for a while, and they're like, no worries, bro. I would tell him my story, and you're all, dude, you're in Hawaii. Chill out. No worries. No yeah. worries, bro. So that's my that's the saying for myself for the year. Anything comes up in my head that I, I get goofy about, I go, wait a second. No worries, bro. And yeah. I move on. Yeah, I've been, <laughs> I've been to Hawaii, and that really is like the greatest place on earth because there really is nowhere it's just like oh, dude it's gonna be you know well, 80 degrees today i haven't have been to fiji yet i heard fiji's pretty freaking cool i haven't been there yet that's the next place well you know what we'll we'll we'll, have, <laughs> we'll, we'll go to we'll go together and 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 just chill out on, the, on a nice beach because it's you know especially up here in montreal i'm sitting in in you know five feet of snow today so oh <laughs> so sorry I know. It's been nice and sunny here in L.A., but it's going to rain tomorrow this weekend. Oh, well, but yeah. My, my, all my, I know is people, heart in bleeds York, for you. people in New York are six feet of snow, and I'm looking at a beautiful view of the Universal Studios. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not great. The, it's not the exact same thing. Uh, Stephen, always a pleasure. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to do this again, and... Uh, you know, listen. If you're ever if you're ever up in Montreal or Ottawa, you know, just call me up. You're taking me out for dinner. Yes, a I am. Nice that's right. Dinner. I want a nice Montreal dinner. Yes, absolutely. Dinner's on yeah. me. I that that is a thanks, big so much, bro. And it is on it is on tape, and the world will hear it. And yes, absolutely. Hello, my, world. My my my. No pleasure. worries, world. No worries. No bro. worries. <laughs> Stephen is back. Stephen and of course uh, his mom. Uh, the book is out. And uh, you've done the Guns N' Roses shows. Life is, I guess, perfect at this point. Yeah, well, I, I got closure, and that's a big deal. Also, which I want to mention, it's really funny about my mom's book and my book, because in my book, it, you can read what I was going, what I was doing, going through. That was putting my mom through what you could read in her book. 
so it's kind of funny that you could see what I was doing that was making that was you know that was hurting her and putting her through this, and you could read that in her book. So it kind of matches up. It's kind of cool. Yeah, you know, just <laughs> unintentionally, that, unintentionally too. <laughs> but just speaking of that, since we do have sort of this A B of the story, you know, um, would you ever consider proposing that to a studio and making the life and times of uh, Stephen Adler and and sort of using your book and her book as a basis and sort of gelling them together in in, in a in a teleplay? <laughs> I haven't talked about that, but we're talking. I'm talking to some people right now about mine, doing a movie about mine. But that's in the talk, so okay. there's nothing, you know, nothing nothing's about. written in stone. The, uh, uh, what the Pharaoh has not said, shall it be written? Shall it be done yet? So once we, this, the Pharaoh says, shall it be written? Shall it be done? Then I will tell you more. Then you tell you more. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> I mean, your your story from your book and your perspective is compelling as all heck. But I, I, I don't know. I just think the twist of adding both visions, sort of paralleling, it would be just like super interesting. But you know, we'll see. Oh, I think so too. But yeah, it's just up to the people who you know buy it. Yeah, there and you do go. It. I ha- I will have a little say, but you know. I don't know. There's not there's nothing planned to, to put anything on stone yet, so it's permanent. Right now, I'm just enjoying this beautiful day. That's all I got. Yeah, go <laughs> go enjoy that, and we'll thank you, Mitch, for thank talking you. with you. Have a good one now. Bye bye now. Cheers. I love you, brother. You. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Me night. too. Bye bye. Stay warm. Stay warm. <laughs> yeah. Turn up the heat to eighty <laughs> in the house. <laughs> you got it. Cheers. Love you, brother. Thanks. Yeah, me too. Bye bye. And there you have it, folks. My interview with drummer Stephen Adler from the band Guns N' Roses. A very big thank you for him for having taken the time to uh, speak to me. And, of course, to all the different websites and publications that were uh, kind enough to spread the word. And uh, I'm very, very happy that I could bring it to you here on Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon on Podcast One at the Jericho Network. And uh, while we're checking stuff out, please head over to Twitter. Check me out at Mitch LaFon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. And do stick around. I have one more interview for you on this episode. It is with symphonic metal band Epica. They have a new EP called The Solar System, and I chit-chat with lead singer Simone Simons. I'll be right back. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. Welcome back for the last interview of the episode. It is with Simone Simons of the symphonic metal band Epica. The new EP is The Solace System. We talk about that, the upcoming tour, childhood, child rearing, all kinds of details, makeup even. Uh, Here is the one, the only, Simone Simons. Hello, this is Simone from Epica, and you're listening to Mitch LaFont. Rock on. We are speaking with vocalist Simone Simons of Epica. Is, is is that the, the proper English way to say the name, or is it uh, somewhat a, a off of what we should be saying? No, you did a good job. I would say Simone Simons in Dutch, and in English, Simone Simons, or Simone Simons. That's <laughs> so, what the guys call me. After we were we went to China, they, they called me Simone, and then the guys loved <laughs> that name, so they call me Simone. <laughs> what, a, what a great name. Um but let's talk about the Solace system, and we've also got the uh, the North American tour. Uh, why an EP at this point? Why not sort of hold off and and go back in the studio and do an entire album? 
because these songs are still somehow connected to the holographic principle, you know, they were all recorded with the means, you know, of being on that record. But since we wrote a shitload of songs, <laughs> we only had like 74 minutes on the CD, we couldn't fit them all on there. And we also didn't want to scatter them all over different versions of the holographic principle. So we thought we keep them together and we will release them not so long after the holographic principle to to keep these songs now and to start writing new songs they might not you know fit you know it's not like from the same family so that's why we we did it like this now the holographic principle is the last album and we we did an interview and spoke about that one last year um there was talk of it being a double album and of course now you have this ep with these extra songs why not make a double album what sort of held you back from going that route I think Epica's music is already so much information to take in. Uh, we we always fill the CDs until there's no more space anymore. And then uh, all the layers of music, the melodies, the complexity, it's, it's intense. It's a lot to take on. And I think with a double CD, I don't know, it, it would feel as if it would be too much information and kind of a waste to throw it out all at once, I think. You know, you sometimes you got to keep a little treat here and there. <laughs> got to keep a little something left behind. Yeah, a little um, something, something. <laughs> is there is there such a thing? Like you just mentioned, too much. Is there some such a thing as too much of a good thing? I mean, growing up, especially when I did, albums were thirty five minutes, forty minutes, and that was enough. Uh, you sort of fill yours up to seventy five, seventy six. Is is there such a, a concept as too much of a good thing when recording an album? I think. With this album, or at least also the whole principle, there are no songs that sometimes can be named as fillers, you know, songs that you just write quickly on a whim, you know, oh, we need we need like four more songs. Okay, let's write them quickly. All of these songs were uh, treated the same way, you know, to, to be part of the CD um, because of the quality of the songs, not because, you know, you have a couple of strong songs. And the rest just, you know, whatever, you know, the quality is, is the quality level is so high that for me it would be, you know, it's, it's already a lot that we're giving the people, you know, like you say, 75 uh, minutes of music. There are also bands that, or especially also in the pop music, CDs often don't last longer than 45, 50 minutes. And also with, um, the time schedule that we have almost every two two and a half years we come up with new music so that's also quite a lot so i think that now with the solar system this was a thing we haven't done before we haven't released an ep yet so uh, also as a way to promote the upcoming tours it's also a nice tool to do that and the fans in the past they've um, sometimes, you know, given us constructive criticism that we have had really amazing bonus tracks from the Quantum Enigma, songs that I really, really love as well. But they are scattered over different versions because that's a little bit the, the policy of, of record labels and stuff like that. I respect that. But the EP now is like all those amazing songs that didn't make it to the album, not because they were not good, but just because they didn't fit to the flow and, and the overall uh, package. They are now all gathered together on one CD. 
so it's it's really easy for the fans to to get a hand on it and not also for me i have to go to youtube to find the the extra tracks from the quantum enigma that i really loved but didn't make it to the album you would think they would give you a cd with those on there um Metropolitan. <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I gift a lot of the CDs that I get. I gift them, you know, because I I do have somewhere in a file, I have the masters of all the songs, but I kind of lose them <laughs> as well. But I, I always gift the PR samples that I get. To everybody else. Uh, the Metropole yeah. Orchest. Um, you're going to have a chance to work with them. Uh, talk to me about that. Um, well, they are a very known Dutch orchestra mm-hmm. that held this competition, and there were about six hundred contenders, and we we won the we won the the, the game <laughs> or the the match or the competition, and I think it's really awesome that a metal band that gets gets a chance like that or even gets the opportunity to be on a list of. Uh, uh, of, of musicians and we have such a great fan base that you know they were all voting and voting and voting and then we we made it and we were like yes this is so cool because we've worked with orchestras before and it's a big part of our music so what we're going to do we're still negotiating with them you know it's still for us a lot of business paperwork and then we can actually get to the fun stuff but we are going to re-record one of Epica's existing songs with the orchestra. But when it's going to take place, which song it's going to be, that's all still in the cards, or we still have to decide that and finalize all that stuff. And get it where it worked on. Now, uh, one of the other things that I find interesting, uh, especially about you, is your uh, blog, The Smoon Style, or smoonstyle.com, where you talk about makeup tips and all that wonderful stuff. And I, I think I told you the last time I showed it to my daughter, who's only 14, absolutely loves what you're doing. Um, talk to me about putting together that blog and also the perception that it has. Cause you know, when you think of metal, you think of everybody dressed in black and you think of all this visual stuff. And then here you come out with the, you know, the makeup blog. Did, were fans ever sort of offended by that? Did they give a pushback? And, and then talk to me about that interest and developing it further. It actually all started seven years ago, I believe, 2009 or 2010, I have to. I have to have a look on my blog. I haven't been that active lately. Well, it says but, 2010 uh, is the first posting from. Ah, when I'm, when I'm, there you go. There you go. Thank you. I I need you as my assistant. You can help me out with that. Um, yeah. So it actually started because the fans, mainly girls, wanted to know all the girly stuff about you know my clothes, my makeup, uh, and I thought back then blogging wasn't such a huge thing as it is now or it's actually on a decline again because of YouTube um, I thought that that's a cool thing I love photography I love food I love makeup and like that I can show it show selectively what I've been doing what I've been loving share my tips and tricks because I've learned a couple of things over the years doing my own makeup and designing clothes with designers shopping cooking you know I'm very creative I, I like it all and and photography is my biggest passion next to music so I have a big collection of cameras I make photos every day and I, I like to write as well although I think I'm better at doing photos than writing some people they can write a, a book within two days and 
I need to be in a in writing mode. I cannot do it every day. I'm not a journalist. But yeah, I, I just throw everything online that I think is nice. But since I'm becoming more and more a professional photographer, I'm becoming more selective of what I post and how I photograph it. I don't just like quickly take snapshots and throw that online. So um, it's uh, it's not like it was back in the day. If I look at the first couple of posts, I was like, oh, wow, I took bad photos or bad makeup. You know, we all grow and it's it's still fun for me, but I don't spend so much time on it. I rather nowadays post something on Instagram or link to in, to Instagram because that's where a lot of people are at. And the fans asked me to do it back in the day or, you know, they it was for them that I did it. And of course, there are a couple of people that say, oh, metal, you're not metal. And I, I am Simone. I, I don't say I'm, I'm metal or I am into pop music. I like music for the melodies that touch me. And um, I like clothes that, you know, I wear a lot of black, but I also love yellow. I, I wear a yellow dress if I want to, or blue lipstick or red lipstick. You know, it's, I think music and also makeup and any form of art is a way of expressing yourself. And I don't like it when people say I cannot wear makeup or be girly because I'm into metal. I think that's very narrow-minded and I don't, don't like people who think like that I am not like that I am very open-minded and I treat other people the same and I don't expect them to like what I like and that we can do talk really long about this but yeah. I think I'm yeah. gonna no, wrap but it, it up is it is it just a, a passion that you share with fans or is it something that you want to move into more professionally and have your own makeup line and have your own clothesline and and really develop a a business out of it well, if I would ever do a business, I would not be clothing. It would probably be a makeup line. Um, but I, I don't know. I would have to collect a team around me that are more into business, uh, are more business savvy than I am because I'm the chaotic artist. And um, I'm working more and more on my photography um, career as well, aside from Epica. Um focus on portrait photography and what I do I can do makeup really well so I can also offer a really beautiful makeup going from natural to crazy stage makeup and do portrait photography so that's more the corner in which I want to go to I don't know if I'm I'm a businesswoman you know when it comes to selling things apart from selling photographs I guess I've, well, I've and worked selling music, in, right? Yeah, so, but it's different to sell music than to sell makeup. It's it's a diff. I don't know. It's a different way of a different level of art. I think. You know, we have managers. We have record companies. They do the business side. We write the music. They do the the how do you call it um, marketing and stuff. I have no clue about that. Okay. And that's something you have to know when you're starting a business as well. And that's where it comes to, you know, collecting a team around you. At this moment, I'm doing everything on my own, aside from Epica. You know, I, we have a manager, we have a tour manager, we have record company, we have booking agencies. But for my own business right now, my blog and my photography, I don't have anybody helping me, aside from a really sweet woman in America that knows how to program websites, because I don't know that either. <laughs> it, it does require a team. Now, uh, the last time we spoke... Um, 
you mentioned that one of the things you would like to do is maybe some voiceover work on on Disney movies, you know, sing for Ariel or whatever. Mm. But but uh, talk to me about maybe doing music outside of Epica. Is there any interest for you to do just a solo album or a pop album or a dance album or just just something outside on your own where you are the creative control and creative force? Or is Epica really just, no, this is the band and that's that and photography's here and makeup's here and, you know. Well, it's funny that you say that about doing movies. Um, we've been working on a project recently, which is still uh, top secret. But my singing style in there is a little bit more musical movie style. You know, it's not something that people know for me with Epica. And that's that's going to be really cool. And when I was doing the vocal recordings of that, it really also sparked a little bit of interest in me to maybe do that as well. A friend of mine, she does that. Um, and I recently was in Portugal. I had a holiday there connected with a festival for Africa. And I met up with a singer from Moonspell and some of the other band members. Right. And he also said, yeah, I was just in, in Lisbon because I had to do audition for Dracula or Frankenstein or, or whatever. You know, he has a really awesome voice. And he says he does that quite often. And he told me, like, you should do it, too. It's fun. And I thought so, too. The only problem is I am Dutch living in Germany. And uh, all the studios here in Germany, you know, the movies that are dubbed in German, they would probably want to have a native speaking German right. and, and not a Dutchy. Or if they intentionally need someone who speaks German with a Dutch accent. <laughs> But yeah, I sh I should get into that as well whenever I the, whenever the days have more hours because right now the hours or the days and the weeks and the years they fly by. I don't know. I have so many passions. I want to do it all, but I, in order for that, I cannot sleep anymore. <laughs> well, hey, you know that's a, that's certainly a possibility. Now, now you did mention that this top secret project has a different vocal style. When you uh, lay down your vocals for Epica. Is there a certain style that you must stick to? I mean, do you do you sort of limit yourself in what you're able to do or or want to to commit to tape, or is Epica sort of free enough where you can do whatever you want vocally? It is free enough, I would say, but the songs also set uh, a frame, you know, for me. So it all starts with the song, and within the song, I am free. Uh, they don't tell me like you cannot sing classical; you have to sing rock. You do what the song asks you, and this other project, the music, originally isn't from us. We kind of put it in a different code. And that was then fun because it was like, okay, you know, this is not 100% Epica, so we can go even wilder. But with um, the, uh, how do you say, the acoustic right. principle, you know, the good, the bad, and the um, beyond the whatever we, we named it, or the funky algorithm, we already went crazy on that and Epica is really flexible and we like to expand our boundaries so I don't feel confined there but it was fun to to go a little bit more into a different corner and I, I like to be versatile I like to experiment and that's why I also love to do guest vocals like with Arian and I recently had some uh, a song some songs with Exit Eden you know Yep. I covered Madonna and, and Adele, and that was really cool, and fans seemed to love it as well. So, you know, why not, why just stick to one thing? There's so many beautiful things out there I want to 
explore <laughs> explore them all and, and that's another thing i want to ask about epica because when you you know when people look at defining the band they say well it's symphonic metal well there's some thrash in there well there's some black metal well there you know how would you describe epica and you know have you have you musically is there an album that you haven't made yet that you want to make do you, do you want to do more you know is there a different style of music you want to you want to bring into the studio Oh, yeah, jazz. That's still a, a great passion of mine. Or I think my voice is, is really could really blossom in, in those songs. I've had some small gigs with my husband before we got the baby. <laughs> and then there was a baby and uh, then time kind of is running out or we don't have time to, to explore that even further. But if Epica were to take things a little easier, <laughs> you know, not have the crazy touring schedule that we have now, then more time would would be at my hands and I can um, do some stuff with my husband and other musicians in the scene. And I always like to keep an open mind if something, you know, crosses my path, it's probably for a reason. And uh, if it feels good, then then I'm probably gonna do it. It's it's how my life has been over the last uh, 16 years. You know, you kind of go with the flow, and if it feels good, then it's probably meant to be. You know. Now, now you mentioned the baby, which uh, is the who's name, almost four. He's not who, a baby anymore. Right, <laughs> born in in 2013, Vincent, I believe. Yes, um, correct. Talk to me about the challenges of having a young child and being a touring musician, because you've got this North American tour coming with Lacuna Coil. Do you bring the child along? Do you not bring the child along? What kind of, of stress is it to bring it, and what kind of stress is it to leave it behind? Because, you know, doing the rock journalism thing, I have two kids, and there were times where you had to decide, well, do I go see Metallica tonight, or do I stay home? Um, mm. it, it It can become very complicated but how is it for you it is as complicated for any other parent working parent but with me there's the extra factor that I have to travel a lot I cannot come at home every night to bring the bring him to bed so when I'm on tour my husband's home and he's gone I'm on tour and we only are gone both at the same time for a very short time and um, we have family helping us out they live close by he loves it there. And uh, f my personal opinion is that touring life is not for small children. I agree. And I know a certain musicians, they, they take their kids on, on tour. They take nannies. They do homeschooling. And that's all, you know, every parent decides what's best for their child. And even if I miss my son like crazy, I still think it's best for him to be home with uh, then daddy and grandma and his kindergarten he's we live in a beautiful town with the forest with the fresh air he has daylight he has routine and touring life is anything but daylight and routine you know you go to bed late you wake up late you have sometimes bad food you're confined in small spaces dark spaces sometimes don't see the light of day and that's not a good environment for kids so um yeah, my son comes to shows every once in a while. He he recently was with me in Portugal because I connected the holiday. But it's also very stressful for me to have my child there because I constantly worry about him 
if everything is fine and and it's it's not it's not a good environment for kids so no i can imagine and now the ultimate uh, principal tour only lasts a month is that also partly due to the family commitments where you just don't want to do six months at a time because it just would be too difficult or not fair um is that part of the the you know the planning is let's do a month and then come home let's is, does that work into the equation yeah but the month is already too long for me <laughs> so the six months you're saying is completely out of the question um because um not or even the ones that don't have kids want that <laughs> the ones that just you know they have uh also a partner or are married are they married yeah rob our bass player he's married he doesn't have kids he doesn't want kids uh, mark uh, has a girlfriend he doesn't have kids yet but he has a girlfriend and he has his pets who he misses like crazy and he's like i can totally understand i already miss my my pets how must it be for you to miss your child and i tell him i pull the switch basically when i'm working and sometimes i have good tours sometimes i have bad tours where i miss him like crazy or when he gets sick and uh, i had to cancel interviews once because he got like a really high fever i was in europe luckily at the end of a press week so i could get home but if i have a show somewhere on the other side of the world that's something i don't want to think too much about but i um, it happens it, it, it happens. happens, yeah. Um, and it happened with my father, you know, a couple of years back. He got sick and I had to cancel the tour because he, he basically almost died. He was about to die. We thought he was going to die. And I was like, do I now stay here and do the tour and have a bad conscience for the rest of my life? Or do I go home? I did what felt right, you know, and uh, I don't regret it. It was a financial disaster for Epica. <laughs> we, but we managed because we have a great support system where we were luckily able to catch the financial loss that we had and the fans were very understandable because our fans are also humans. They also know what our life looks like and that we have family and friends. And I think in the end it shows more backbone if you choose to be there for your family and friends. No, if you're there for your family and friends. You appear more human than if you stay and do do the show because I don't think that's setting a, the right example. No, What's I, most important is family and friends in life. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Family first, and it's it's not always obvious. Uh, <laughs> believe me. Mm-hmm. Um, let's finish on this. Uh, of course, uh, the Solace System is the new EP. The last album was Holographic Principle. Where does that leave us in terms of new album, new full album in ter- 2018, 2019? Is it already written and it's almost done? Where are we in terms of the next new full album? Well, we are not superhumans. I think we're already doing, uh, we're super productive and in need of a little bit of breathing space when it comes to the next album. We're, we're still going to tour a little bit. And uh, then we're we're going to write a new record without putting a time frame on it, you know, without having that deadline in order for us to just explore our musical creativity and write music without time pressure because we've been doing that for a long time. And uh, yeah, we we will continue to write music, but we cannot say now if it's going to be released in 2019, 2020. Um, yeah, we've been 
pooping out CDs like bunnies, <laughs> kids, kids, um, and um, right. It'll be when it'll be, uh, which is probably yeah. the, which I guess creatively is also the best thing because forced music never really sounds. Uh, the way it mm -hmm. should. So, mm -hmm. uh, always a pleasure. Looking forward to the tour. Uh, Montreal is one of the early dates. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. You too, and, and take care. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Have a good one. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. President Trump denies it. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. President Trump denies on Twitter using vulgar language when questioning why the U.S. would accept more immigrants from Haiti and African nations. 17 dead, 43 missing in Southern California after Tuesday's heavy rain and devastating mudslides. Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown is asking people to evacuate some areas so search and rescue crews can do their jobs. It is seriously impacting the ability of search and rescue, public works, other first responders and repair crews to clear roadways and to engage in search and rescue repair and damage assessment operations. Missouri Governor and former Navy SEAL Eric Greitens is now under investigation after acknowledging an extramarital affair but denying anything more, including accusations that he tried to blackmail the woman into keeping quiet. I'm Rita Foley.